1: From Blue Wire Studios today, so you're ready for the August premiere. Hello, Hardwood Knox fans. This is Adam Frommel here with my co-host, Dan Favalli. We have a special episode today about the All-NBA teams. We're going over our first team, our second team, our third team, And because we're apparently overachievers who both somehow did this without consulting each other, we also have a fourth team for you. Uh, If anyone from the NBA is listening, we don't have official votes. We would love to, um, but these are unofficial. um, And this whole episode is brought to you by our sponsors, DealDash and BetOnline.ag. You'll be hearing from them with some promo codes in a minute. But before we get there, Dan, how's it going
0: today? So refreshing to be asked how I'm doing on a podcast that I co-host. That's all. That's a, that's. A, so I'm doing amazing. Everyone always asks me when I'm a guest, but it's refreshing to now be on the receiving end of that question. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. It's just nice to know that everyone cares, right? Or at least you.
0: At least it, me. And, and even if it's superficial it's, care. Yeah.
1: I like yeah, it. <laughs> it's it's more faux care, but you know.
0: Um, I'm excited to talk about all NBA teams, though. And basketball's back, and it seems to be... I'm, You know I'm like kind of a pessimist by trade with this stuff, and so I'm... I'm like cautiously optimistic now that the NBA like might be okay. And we've already talked about how there are more more moralistic things that go into this too, where even if it can work, should they even be trying to do it? But it's, I will say one, just objectively, I'm happy that basket, like basketball has been fun to watch since it's been back. And two, I'm obviously happy regardless of the other issues that the Disney campus at least seems to be doing well so far.
1: Yeah, and it's nice to see the NBA take it seriously enough that, you know, Kyle O'Quinn missed a test. He's not allowed to play. It'd be great if all the players did the same. Looking at you, Terrence Davis, probably stop putting holes in your mask.
0: My God. Um,
1: but it is it is good that for the most part, everyone seems to be taking it seriously. Um, and the NBA is, is doing a good job. It's still, it's still a little bit disconcerting that we're watching... All these resources be allocated and the focus beyond basketball, right. even with the social justice um, focus as well. But if they're going to do it, which they are, uh, we have to be pleased that they're doing a good job with it.
0: That's the way to look at it. If they're going to do it anyway, at least it seems like they found the, found the way to do it. And hey, it's at least proved to be Eon's more effective than whatever the hell baseball is doing right now.
1: Absolutely. And we've had so many close, fun games. I was I've been shocked by the quality of play right off the bat like you, you can definitely see that that some players came more prepared than others i think the the best example was the, the first game of the restart where jj reddick like the veteran consummate professional that he is he looked damn good just showing new pieces of his game showing the same old pieces that have made him such a successful role player throughout his career but like it the the quality in general has surpassed my expectations
0: I'm with you. Even some of the uglier stuff like Clippers, Lakers, like that wasn't the prettiest basketball, but it was just so much fun. Maybe I was just went without basketball, competitive basketball for too long, but seeing LeBron really try guarding Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, that was spectacular. Kyle Kuzma was hitting threes all of a sudden, like it was just, and it was a close game. Like you said, that's been the biggest thing. I was going to wait until after the all NBA teams to to ask you this. Is there like any player or team thus far Given we're so early into the bubble, or campus, mesh hat, whatever you want to call it, that's just floored you with how things have undergone, whether it's bad or, or good?
1: Yeah, I I think the Phoenix Suns are a good basketball team. And it's been a while since we've been able to say that. But Devin Booker is incredible. DeAndre Aiden looks to keep making strides on both ends of the floor. Ricky Rubio ended the, the pre-hiatus portion of the season on this absolute tear. He's continued to play effectively. They they have depth. They have top-level talents, and I don't think that they're going to make any noise this season aside from proving their competitiveness and earning respect from other teams they're playing against, but watch out for them next year.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to cite Mikael Bridges, who's been like my siren song for quite some time, and I know Suns fans are quick to point out that they've been in on him for a while, so congratulations to them. But he's going to be ridiculously good. If he becomes like the offensive constant that he's kind of been since the past Play stopped, but just the past few months, that ends up being huge. His playmaking off, like on his drives, is really just subtly great. And if you have that three pay- player base with Booker, Aiton, and Bridges, you're in good shape. Cam Johnson is good too. You have Ricky Rubio. They're I think they're like a power, like a perfect fitting power forward away from being. A consensus playoff team
1: would be the way to put it. Imagine if they still had TJ Warren, who they just gave away. I mean, we're still complimenting the Suns, but they do deserve criticism for that because TJ Warren has probably the single most impressive performance of the bubble experience so far with his 53 spot. And I I think it's like a disservice to him when people are including him in that Tony Delk, Corey Brewer conversation as the most unlikely 50-piece scorers uh because he has been such an effective scorer and has been improving and this wasn't like some totally out of nowhere performance based on what we'd seen
0: earlier this season. Yeah, TJ Warren's always been kind of a a bucket with smoking face emoji. The one thing I'll say in sort of the Suns defense, look, they needed to get they never should have just gotten cash considerations for TJ Warren. But he also would have never been this good defensively in Phoenix because Indiana just turns right. whatever they get in, in terms of wings, just into good defenders. And I also don't think he was the best fit for this roster specifically because Kelly Oubre Jr. was already there at that point or they were they were planning on... You know, part of the reason that they moved warm was so that they could afford both Rubio and, and Kelly Oubre Jr. So they needed to get more, but I don't think that we can act like they missed out on this, like talent who would have pushed them over the top which is how it was being framed after a 53 spot i will also and he say he wouldn't have
1: gotten the touches either next to aiden and, and rubio and booker and he
0: is one of the guys that like t- kind of in the vein of marcus morris where they can hit their catch and shoot threes or jumpers because indy doesn't take enough catch and shoot threes if they're also getting the required number of touches because they're so much more comfortable on ball and indiana afforded him that opportunity in a way that phoenix this season would not have the other thing i'll say it is way, 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 way worse to only receive cash considerations for your G League team. Yes, that was <laughs> that was also
1: not the greatest move and, and just kind of representative of the franchise in general under Sarver.
0: And that's why if you want to doubt whether the Suns will make the playoffs next year or anytime soon, I'm willing to roll with you, not because someone in the right. G League would have helped them get there, but because that's the line of thinking that goes on yep. behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, that's totally valid. It's like the the polar opposite of the the new like model franchise, which is the Toronto Raptors, and that's been one of my my other big takeaways from the bubble so far. Is like, you know, if, if you were doubting Toronto's legitimacy before the the NBA went on hiatus, shame on you. If if you still are, extra shame on you because this is absolutely a contending team. Nick Nurse uh, is a a very deserving. Coach of the Year candidate, even if he's not going to get the award. The team has depth. Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam are incredible. Everyone on that team plays defense, and we're going to talk more about them on the all-NBA teams, I'm sure.
0: I'm with you, too. This podcast, we can be proud to say, feels like they've been in on the Toronto Raptors appropriately, but I'm actually amazed. I must not follow the right people on Twitter, because I wasn't seeing all the anti-Raptors takes in the first place. And now all the people are coming out saying, oh, you slept on the Raptors. I'm like, I didn't see anyone sleeping on them in my timeline, but maybe I follow too many people on Raptors Twitter, which, whatever, that that ends up working out. So, yeah, they're look, they're the biggest threat in the East to Milwaukee to me, and that was before the restart. It's not just the, the byproduct of Boston's poor game against Milwaukee since the restart itself. Just the way they defend, my big question with them would be their half-court offense is, does Kyle Lowry put enough pressure on the rim as their primary scorer? When things bog down and can you turn to Pascal Siakam in those situations and be confident that he can create, I would lean towards yes. And Nick Nurse does a good job of kind of forcing him into those situations, but that's still the question mark for them. But if they're going to be competent in the half court, it it wouldn't come close to surprising me. Even now, if they're not, if they're the team that comes out of the East,
1: I feel like Nurse has some wrinkles he's saving for the actual playoff games too. I don't know what theirs are going to be. But gonna, I have confidence that they're coming.
0: Is it going to be a ginormous lineup where it's Siakam, Gasol, Abaka, and then maybe uh, OG at the two? And then they can put Powell at the one? or maybe I feel like Kyle Lowry, by law, has to be in any Raptors lineup that matters. So If you're playing the Bucs, <laughs> put, a, put a lot of
1: size around the rim with guys who can still defend on the perimeter.
0: Hardwood Knox listeners, have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, Everyone else has 10 seconds to answer, or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to deal dash.com and use the offer code Knox. Or go to deal dash.fm slash nox. That's deal-dot fm slash nox. D-E-A-L D-A-S-H dot fm slash nox. My one well not one, but one of my big takeaways or something that I, something seems up with Dallas, like not in a good way. And I think it was a question everyone was asking beforehand where what what's gonna happen? Can they win in crunch time when Luke is really their only true shot creator? And after losing two games in crunch time and blowing two double digit leads, that question still stands. Uh Doncic in Sunday night's loss to Phoenix did a great job of attacking the rim in crunch time in ways that he hasn't really done uh, earlier this season, but they still feel one substantial player short and maybe a little bit further away from contention than people build them for initially. If one substantial player short is actually considered close, then that's fine. I'm very curious to see how they go about getting that guy because they've sort of de- depleted their trade stores with the Chris Porzingis trade, their picks, unless you go really distant into the future, they're not that valuable because Doncic is really good. And then their trade assets are just like actual players are meh. They can match money. But unless you're trying, like, are they going to go out and combine all their salaries into getting Chris Paul this summer? I mean, I would totally do it. That would be fantastic. But I don't know what the ceiling on a trade is. And so that sort of leaves you with, can we get a difference maker using the mid-level exception or during that small window in 2021, when Doncic is still on his rookie scale and they'll have, they can have, excuse me, max cap space. Are they able to poach someone? This actually feels like something that could be a, a longer term issue because Kristaps Porzingis is really good. They won that trade. The Knicks are a blustering, sorry excuse for an organization, not defending that in any way, but I don't know that what he brings is what you need as a pure number two scorer, particularly in the half court and then especially during crunch time.
1: I kind of feel like they're going to make a surprising acquisition with the mid-level exception somewhere down the road just because people are going to want to go play with Doncic and Kristaps. But regardless... This is a good problem for Dallas to have because we're talking about how they're not quite true contenders because they're missing a piece without really acknowledging how ridiculously far ahead of schedule they already are. They weren't supposed to be a playoff team going into this 2019-20 season, much less a playoff lock in the bubble. I mean, they've exceeded expectations so dramatically that we have very knowingly shifted the goalposts on them.
0: I, I we definitely shifted the goalpost, but I just I'm, I would be worried that they could get locked into similar territory just because when you look at their books, they have that because once you max out Doncic and you have him and Porzingis on maxes, like the idea of having immense flexibility at any point in the near future, that that sort of goes out the window a little bit. And so I don't I don't know what their path to getting the player they need. Would be unless Tim Hardaway Jr. opts out this summer, which I don't expect, and then they can create cap space, which very few teams have, and then you get into conversations for anyone you want. You know, Fred VanVleet would look good on this team. I don't know if he's the actual answer, but that's the that's the question I, I have for them.
1: Yeah, it's it's a valid one. Um, I, I think that it, it's a it's a strange situation because Rick Carlisle alone always guaranteed some level of competitiveness. Uh, just because he can turn anyone in the rotation into a quality piece. And and we've seen that for years and years and years. So we're already operating with a high floor. And then Doncic expediting the growth of the franchise, in some ways, might almost limit the ceiling a little bit, as you alluded to, because you're preventing yourself from getting any more top draft picks that you might have been expecting. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if the Dallas front office going into this season was sitting there thinking like, we know Doncic is going to be awesome, but we're probably going to get one more top draft pick before we're really a true postseason lock. And by getting there already, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, it's also fair to say. Are you ready for my last takeaway that's probably a little bit spicier than it needs to be? And it's really almost based on nothing that I've seen. I'm always ready for that. The Bucks, who I would still pick to come out of the East, I kind of feel like they are going to need to trade Brook Lopez after this season. Wow, I do. That no- is
1: that is very spicy.
0: I don't. If you told me that he's going to start shooting better from three, and he's just been terrible on wide open threes this year, under thirty percent, maybe I'd feel a little bit better. But something's just—I don't. I the game against the Rockets, maybe I'm reading too much into I don't want to see them trying to post him up as much but the other thing is I really think there it needs to be like a Marvin Williams type player at center alongside Giannis Attentacupo long term um and maybe someone who and this is not as much to do with Brooke Lopez who's not going to hold the Bucks back from being you know what? we need to go with Giannis at the five like Giannis needs to be the five I'm not saying start him there but those lineups need to be given more minutes so that we can create some of our own mismatches there. And look, if you're not going to, if he's not going to hit his threes too, or you're not even going to really ascribe real three-point volume to him in certain games, which they haven't, now you're dealing with, Bletso wasn't in this game, but I'm saying long-term, Bletso, Brooke, and Giannis, those are three non, or I'll say below-average shooters on the floor because we know Lopez and Bletso and even Giannis are willing to shoot it's a concern, and three years and $39.9 million, I'm not sure is the best value for him. And so if I'm a M- Milwaukee, it, it surely depends on how this season finishes, but if it ends in anything but a title, I'm looking at seeing if Lopez plus Bledsoe, plus you're going to need more salary than that, but you have some of it to offer, Like it might be time to go swing and be like, hey, OKC, okay, what's it going to take to get CP3? Maybe it takes a third team who would want Lopez's contract. I don't know how Bledsoe's contract with two guaranteed years left on it would be. But that's just sort of where I'm at with Milwaukee. I still would pick them to come out of the East, but I almost feel like having Brook Lopez on the roster almost prevents them from rolling out what would be the best late-game version of themselves. And maybe that's a stupid way to look at it.
1: I have so many scattered thoughts right now, so I'll just try to lay them out. One is that I would love to see, and I don't know what the path to make this happen looks like, I would love to see Danilo Gallinari next to Giannis on this team, instead of Brooke Lopez, and really lean into to Giannis at the five. I feel like it would be an interesting mix. You would definitely have that functional shooting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know how you go about getting there. As for Lopez himself, I'm not as concerned as you. Um, uh, I, I think that he's demonstrated enough shooting ability in the past for me to kind of write this off as a, a season-long weird shooting funk that is very much reversible because he is generating open looks and those are open looks that he's hit in the past, and that's not really a skill that just plummets at this stage of his career. So it's not as much of a concern for me.
0: I will say last year's the only season he's ever hit more than 35% of his threes. Since he started taking threes in 2016-2017 on a regular basis, 34.6%, 34.5%, 36.5% last year, 29.6% this year. So That's you're a right big in the difference, sense though. It's a
1: big, it's a big difference, difference, but he's also
0: never been like this elite shooter. Right, either. right. But he
1: doesn't need to be elite. He just needs to do enough to draw defenses out there. I'm also not worried about anything we see from the Bucks during their eight-game regular season restart, because they have nothing to play for. The, the, the award races are wrapped up. Because the NBA decided that only the pre-hiatus portion of the season was going to count for those, they for all intents and purposes have they actually locked? I forget. They have. They have not clinched They've, yet. I don't they, think
0: they haven't clinched number one, but like they should have. Like for all intents and purposes,
1: yeah. they have. So I, I feel like the Lopez post-ups, the lack of threes from Giannis, they're just messing around and, and like trying to figure things out, playing with intensity, but like not necessarily revealing the true hand we're going to see in the playoffs. So I just I
0: have trouble like getting. Any takeaways
1: if, from he, that team, and it, it's how I'll feel about the Lakers too.
0: And it's maybe from this I, point forward, and again, and maybe it was just a weird inkling from that Rockets game. But if you also told me that Bud would be willing to close games with Giannis at the five, because I, I feel like the idea of taking Brook Lopez off the floor seems ludicrous because he's borderline all defense this season, right. and so that's what I'm worried. I still think there there might be a better version or a more suited version in a lot of matchups for the Bucs to tap into and the Rockets, obviously you wouldn't meet them until the finals, but even a team like the Celtics, um, it, it might even be, it, it depends on what Toronto's actually closing with, but it could be true versus Toronto. Maybe it could definitely be true with Miami. So I, that that's just where I'm at. And that's not to I'm not trying to denigrate Brooke Lopez. Who's had a fantastic defensive season. And he's also a pretty good post up scorer. but that's just a weird inkling I have. And that I think that might be zooming too far out into the future as well.
1: It could be, but come on. Tell me you don't want to see an Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Gallo lineup.
0: Gallo is just impossible to get because he's going to be so expensive. You would have to trade
1: for him. I know. It almost has to be like a weird sign-and-trade situation.
0: Tell me you don't want to see Chris Paul, Chris Middleton, and Giannis, and then whoever they fill out. Let's say George Hill is in that. No, like I, Chris Paul, Middleton, and Giannis. That's I good. want to see
1: Chris Paul anywhere. Like You don't have to sell me on seeing him in any lineup.
0: I did see people were saying that. I can't wait to see Chris Paul in a contender again. I just want to say newsflash that it wouldn't shock me if Oklahoma City made it to the conference finals.
1: Wow, you're going to bet on Chris Paul in the playoffs? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, he's been historically great in the playoffs. His teams just haven't won. So yes, I, I am going to bet on Chris Paul in the playoffs. As you should. Speaking of elite, as you brought up, though, I feel like maybe it's time to get into these all-NBA, all-NBA jams. Unless you have any quick thoughts on the Jonathan Isaac torn left ACL
1: just such a bummer I mean we we saw so much growth from him early in the season just becoming more than this defensive player of the year caliber stopper he was starting to show a lot more than just flashes on the offensive end we saw it again very briefly in in Disney before the ACL um, it, it's just it's a shame when any young up and coming player especially one that has such an excitable game on the court um, goes down like is it's never fun to see.
0: And this now I would probably agree with everything you just said. The only one of the long-term concerns I've always had with him is that there's just a chance where his offensive type of game doesn't even really fit at the four, unless you put a very specific type of five around him because he doesn't really have a floor game and he hasn't shot threes well or in high volume. And so one of those things need to change so that you like don't need to view him as like this de facto five um, on offense. But this now jeopardizes next season for him which in turn kind of nice. complicates what the magic are doing because they don't have the worst contracts but they're also not flexible and it's like what's the pathway to get better how much sense does it make to trade Aaron Gordon now when Jonathan Isaac's not going to probably play next year And one of the reasons you would trade Aaron Gordon is either one you're just out on him or two because the log jam with Isaac and Gordon and Vooch just doesn't really make sense they have a lot of They had awkward questions to answer before, but now even more so, I would say, knowing that he's not going to be, and look, the next time he plays could be when he's on his next deal because he's extension eligible this summer. And so what do you do about that?
1: I I really struggle to see a path forward for the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, the the Orlando Magic, who are just now stuck on that mediocrity treadmill. be
0: honest. Yeah. (laughs) The Hornets belong in that statement too. So you were just right on both fronts. All NBA teams though, are you ready? I'm as ready
1: as I've been since the start of this one. I I know we were originally planning on doing our bubble conversation afterwards, but the best laid plans and and, and all that.
0: Or the worst laid plans because it is this podcast. Yeah, that's fair. So we agreed to go by position. We'll go positions through the three teams since all NBA teams are still done by position. I believe we're both... Want yeah, We both want the NBA to get rid of positions on the All-NBA team. Like Positions just,
1: in general are dumb. Let's just get that out of the way from the start.
0: I don't know if I'm actually allowed to say that as someone who doing NBA 100 of Bleacher Report. I have to rank by position. Um, but yes, get rid of positions, please. Positions are dumb. Exactly. I'm allowed to say it. Look, yep. the, all, the All-NBA <laughs> discussion could then be, we did point this out, but that would be a fun discussion. It would just be the best 15 players in the league that year. And that's, that's obviously a debate in and of itself.
1: I think it's a more fun discussion than trying to, like, shoehorn worse players into these spots because we have to. Right. And, and that's nothing against these players because, you know, the 15 slash 20 that we're going to highlight are all fantastic. Uh, they'd be in that conversation for those top 15 spots. But I would much rather, like, acknowledge how guard heavy and wing heavy the league is and, and give credit where credit is due.
0: And look, it does hamstring like the bigs just a little bit too, because now you only have three spots on the roster anyway. And and in a season, if Embiid plays more and Colin Anthony Towns right. plays more, like that becomes like an issue.
1: But the NBA is like clearly conscious of this and trying to make some exceptions by like somehow making Nikola Jokic eligible at a forward spot, which doesn't make any sense. And LeBron James is very much a positionless player, but he hasn't been eligible at guard in the past. And now that we're putting him there as well, like- it's
0: like he's not eligible to be voted in amongst guards for the All Star game. But he's—you yeah. could put him in for the All NBA. It's just very—it's all very arbitrary, very much so. And I don't—I don't know why they're trying to preserve positions. I don't know if maybe—and this isn't wouldn't be an insult to them—but maybe the more casual fans appreciate positions. I would argue that no one who listens to this podcast likes the positional designations just because of what this brand is. But if you do, that's—that's that's fine. I'm just curious as to what the loyalty. To the positions, actually, is
1: well. To be clear, it's not fine. Get over yourselves. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. If if someone is listening to this and still is in favor of having positional designations, let us know so that we can we can talk you out of it.
0: Well, I would Let's. I, I would like to hear their argument. I'm not going to be as just right. I mean, we can hear their Adam argument right and then we can shut it down. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Please go to me with your cases for the positions first, and then we will bring them to Adam together. <laughs> I'll be the positional arbiter here. Sports are back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Okay, so on that note, do you want to start with guards or centers? Can't start with forwards. I'm not allowing it.
1: I mean, I, I like that you're making me choose a position now after our, our last segment here, but let's start with guards.
0: Uh, do you want to roll us off with the first team? Because I believe we were consensus on the first team guard.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty obvious here. I mean, James Harden was the best true guard, if that's even a thing in the league this year <laughs> and i'm gonna have him joined by lebron james who as we said is eligible at guard um, uh, leading the league in assists you know I, the, the cases here are are so incredibly obvious they're two of the top three mvp candidates this season they're both the unquestioned leader of their team playing at a remarkably high level um lebron is the do everything guy harden is one of the absolute best offensive forces we've seen in nba history and there's absolutely no one who should challenge them for either of these spots
0: yeah even with hardens kind of like rut leading into the the nba's hiatus it just wasn't enough to be like hey let's put Doncic over over him in this case I don't really have anything to add. Like, I just feel like... There's not t- much
1: to but, add on I th- those. The, the only discussion
0: obvious. would be, like, why is LeBron at guard if he wasn't listed there for the All-Star game? But since he's eligible at guard, like, we have to finagle these teams the the best way possible. So, I'll take us to the second team guards. I have Chris Paul and Damian Lillard. As do I. Look, we're consensus we're again. We're just
1: sharing the same brain here. I will These s- are less obvious, though.
0: Right. So, I don't know if people will definitely pick... Um, Chris Paul, but he should be to me consensus all NBA inclusion. He is like one of the three highest offensive rating swings in the league. They are so dependent on him for his offense. He's shooting a trillion percent from mid-range. He's made more buckets in crunch time than anyone in the NBA where he's basically just slashing an absurd percentage in in crunch time. I even have that written down in my notes, I think. He's no, I don't have it written down in my notes. Um but he's just been oh, he's slashing 54 36 94 in crunch time situations with an individual plus-minus rating of 109. Uh, The only two people higher than him are actually his teammates, Schroeder and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which shows you how ridiculous the Thunder have been. And then with Lillard, maybe people will penalize him for Portland's record. I find that to be weird just given how many injuries they dealt with. And also, Lillard has been redonkulous. 29 points, 8 assists on 62 true true shooting in a league-leading 36.9 minutes per game, all of which are career highs. Um, he's shooting the best that he has, basically, of his career inside three feet. Uh, the fact that he's shooting almost 40% from three on just a, re- a high number of really hard attempts is mind-boggling. More than 70% of his threes go unassisted. And the thing that I keep pointing to is that the Blazers' differential with him on the court is that of a playoff team, and it just it plummets by almost nine points per 100 possessions when he's off. That matters to me because... Maybe, yes, I do believe it's harder to do what Giannis does, taking a really good team to greatness. But, like, he's also, this isn't him taking a mediocre team to okayness. They're really bad without him on the court. And they look really bad because of the personnel that they've had available to this point.
1: Both of these guards are the unquestioned reasons that their teams are in playoff contention. And that's more true for the Thunder than the Blazers at, the, at this stage of, of the restart. But, you know, without Chris Paul, who is playing very much like vintage Chris Paul, um, with the mid-range jumpers, with the ability to get everywhere on the court and dictate offense and control where his man goes on the defensive end. Without him, they are not anywhere but in the lottery conversation. That's especially true as you mentioned in those crunch time situations. You know, the the NBA, the the standard definition is the last three minutes of games separated by, or the last five minutes of games separated by five or fewer points either here Nikola Jokic has been the best player in crunch time this season among high volume players who have who have been in that situation a lot so he's he's in the MVP discussion on the back end of the ballot and he absolutely belongs here as, as for Lillard just an offensive juggernaut a player who continues to get better and and showcase new pieces of his game every season we're seeing more deep threes this season we're seeing them find nylon more frequently and he he might have the highest high of any player this season uh that that stretch that he had in late january and early february the the rolling player ratings that that we use at nba math the the peak that he reached this season which looks at his his, a 10 game stretch it adjusts for the difficulty of the opponent the location of the game all of that stuff he his score was 35.2 on february 1st which is one of the 10 highest scores in nba history it is easily the highest score this season uh, the the only other player who has even topped 30 is James Harden. Giannis, for example, has only gotten to 28.11. Doncic to 28.77. So the, the, the singular stretch that he had right around the All-Star break before he got hurt
0: was just so
1: fantastic and captivating that that alone is
0: going to put him in contention for these spots. Yeah, he was volcanic during that stretch. And so I think that this should be given how the NBA structures its ballots, where Doncic can be a forward, so you don't have to worry about picking one or the other. I think that this should this should probably be consensus second team. I hope so. Who do, all right, so third team guards. This will be less consensus, and I believe it's your turn to take us through them.
1: Yeah, I had Kyle Lowry in my first spot and Ben Simmons in the second. Um, two very, very different players. I'm not sure that there's really, like, a statistical objective case for Kyle Lowry because so much of what he does... is the kind of play that doesn't show up in the numbers it's not represented in the box score because he's taking charges he's making the right decisions on both ends he's involving his teammates he knows how to find the hot guy he has been one of the best players in the nba for the last decade without people really realizing it and I'm I'm not sure that he's going to get recognized in this spot because the scoring numbers aren't there, the assist numbers aren't always there, but he has been unbelievable and is even more so than pa- Pascal Siakam in my opinion. The biggest reason that the Toronto Raptors have remained a championship contender is because of Kyle Lowry. Um as as for Ben Simmons, it's all about the defense. He he isn't going to be the defensive player of the year this year, but he is probably the most versatile defender in the league. He's able to shut down so many different positions and give the seventy sixers an identity beyond just Joel Embiid's rim protection. His playmaking, his ability to get to the rim, even without a jumper, he's been effective on offense. And it's just that that all around ability minus the three point shot that has has been so fantastic all year.
0: Look, and the thing with so mine I did not have Simmons on my on my third team. I did consider him Simmons has been—his workload, I think people underestimate, too. Um, Christian Narsu from Nylon Calculus has this uh, two-way primary usage metric where he measures the amount of time a player spends as the number one option on offense and then the amount of time they spend guarding the number one option on defense. Ben Simmons has the highest two-way workload in the NBA by that metric, so he's definitely a deserving choice. I have Kyle Lowry, though, and Jason Tatum. I can only echo what you said about Lowry, and your last point is the most salient one. He is the through line connecting every single version of the Raptors we've seen since he's been there, of which there are many. It's not just going from DeMar DeRozan to Kawhi to whatever they have now, but just looking at the struggles they had in the postseason where they would just continue to get booted by LeBron, there was a point where it looked like they were going to trade Lowry himself to the Knicks. This organization has undergone many changes, and um, I think last season obviously was the starkest because you traded DeMar, you ended up trading um, Jonas Valanciunas. But that has to matter, too. And it's like you said, a statistical case isn't always going to be the strongest, even though advanced metrics are going to love him. That, to me, has to carry some weight as well. But what he can do for his team, I mean, he will set up two to three shots on the same possession for his team without even dominating the ball because he's going to set screens or just his placement on the floor is going to end up helping them. And he really works his ass off on defense. If you want to argue that maybe his game's a little bit less valuable in the playoffs, unless he has someone to defer to, that might be... That's a, that's a case that I'm willing to listen to, but he is still, he's a top 20 player in this league and should absolutely be in this discussion. And then I had Tatum to for my 13, because one, he was eligible at guard, which allowed me to put other people in that I wanted to. His season has been, I've mentioned this already, kind of boiled down to this month-long or six-week-long rise, and it's just so much more than that. His escape dribble three is one of the most dangerous weapons in the league. He's one of the best off-ball defenders in the league as well. I know people are disappointed, some of them at least, that his playmaking hasn't really incurred this huge uptick when they've basically doubled his pick-and-roll volume and really just his responsibility overall. It's a fair concern. You'd like to see him get to that Chris Middleton-type level, but he has shown an act for throwing more complicated passes. I will still admit that his absence of playmaking at a higher level can be a problem against certain defenses, and we've maybe already seen it with milwaukee and then he's reliant on a high variant shot selection which is what pull-up jumpers are but he has been putting a little bit more pressure on the rim um in recent months maybe not since the the disney restart but beforehand and just a very good player fringe top 10 this season and that's because we're factoring in injuries and things like that so just a clear if he's going to be eligible at guard i'm going to pick him to put him on there he's the best player on what is one of the five or six best teams in the league and that has to count for something
1: I'm going to save my Jason Tatum thoughts for a little bit later in this episode for reasons that will become clear then. Uh, I did want to follow up on Lowry. Is he a Hall of Famer?
0: Ooh, that's a good question.
1: So he has six All-Star appearances. He's only made one All-NBA team, and I don't think that's going to be a second one this year. He he made the 2015-16 third team. He's only appeared on an MVP ballot once. It was in the same season he finished 10th. And yet basketball references Hall of Fame probability 85.7%. I wow, think he is. I didn't realize that. Was I that think high. he is. I would say yes. I think yes, that but the but volume, I... the championship, the ability to transcend through multiple eras for the same franchise and become so iconic for that organization, I think he's in.
0: Um, I actually agree with you. I just didn't want to be the first one to say it. I don't think I am surprised that his Hall of Fame probability percentage is Yeah, actually that I know. High.
1: Yeah, that I I honestly expected it to be below 50% when I checked, but no. 85.7%.
0: I thought it might have been like an Iguodala-type situation. I forget what his Hall of Fame probability was, but it was basically a coin toss, us, was it not? So I might have expected him to be in the same. I will say he could probably turn himself anecdotally into a shoe in if he's not there already, depending on what the Raptors do in this year's postseason. Oh, if they, they win this title? Yeah, put him in now. Don't even yeah, wait for him first to there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's it's interesting, though. The, the Hall of Fame probability leaderboard, the players who are next to him... I'll, I'll just read the 80s. We have Dave Bing at 80, Anthony Davis at 81, James Worthy at 82, Grant Hill 83, Adrian Dantley, Jack Sikma, Jojo White, then Kyle Lowry is 87th all-time in the Hall of Fame Probability Index, followed by Chauncey Billups and Dave DeBuscher.
0: Those are some good names to be along. Those with are that. some great names to be next to. Who did you who did you who else did you unless you have anything to add on this who did you consider just like what's your fourth team for just for fun guards Yeah
1: my my fourth team and I really struggled with this one cuz I had I had three names that I I really wanted to well really four names but we'll get to one of them later Um Bradley Beal, Trey Young, and Devin Booker I ultimately left off Booker and hated myself for doing so just because Beal was so explosive and and Young was so deadly as a as an assist man and a scorer on teams that didn't have the ability to draw defensive attention away from them. Booker has some better pieces around him. Um, You know, the the Hawks would have with John Collins had he not been suspended for what essentially amounted to half the season that the Hawks played. Uh, But because of what they were able to do as one man juggernauts on the offensive on the offensive end, I wasn't ever going to consider them for one of the actual spots on the top three teams because winning does have to matter but i i wanted to give them some love there
0: yeah I, th- I think that's all fine i had russell westbrook and devin booker i wasn't really tempted to put either of them in over my current selections of lowry and tatum um the harder choice would be as you'll see later involved ben simmons but because i decided that ben simmons should be eligible at, at forward <laughs> but Devin Booker, the, uh, Russell Westbrook's case is clear. He was a monster for basically more than half the season, and it was a little bit before the the Rockets went to the smaller units. I just don't. I still question his ability to carry them without Harden. Those numbers are all over the place. They're net negative on the year. They're net positive since January first, but they're net negative since Clint Capella left the rotation, which is arguably the more important sample size because that's when they went super duper small. Um, just two, and then the fact that this was like a tale of two or three seasons for him, I think work it worked against him. For Devin Booker, just the level of growth he has shown as a passer and scorer is amazing. He can get buckets at every level, and he's just doing so super efficiently. He's on pace, since the regular season isn't over, to be the 10th player to clear 25 points and 5 assists per game, with a true shooting percentage better than 61. I know these aren't perfect comparisons, and there's a level of cherry-picking to them, but... His company is James Harden, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Larry Bird, Giannis, Isaiah Thomas, and I bet you could guess the season that that happened in, and Damian Lillard. So he's just been fantastic, and so why I, I do think you can make a case for a Trey Young over him or even a Bradley Beal over him. I felt like his minutes ended up meaning more than theirs, at least more so than Beal's for sure, um, and maybe the fact that the Suns are in the bubble at all speaks to that.
1: Yeah, uh, I I have no counter arguments to that. Really, for me, you could have picked two of those of those three, Beal Young and Booker. And to any Rockets fans who are listening and are firing off hate tweets to me for not mentioning Westbrook yet, we'll get there, I promise.
0: (laughs) Um, We're on to forwards. So who did you have on your, your first team of forwards, which we are also in lockstep with?
1: I don't think we were, actually.
0: Then never mind. We were not. Yeah, I think a- we
1: have one difference on, on the first team here. Because I had Giannis, which, duh. Um, he should be the consensus MVP. So that pretty much goes without saying. And I I did not have Kawhi Leonard because I had Luka Doncic taking that spot. Um, what he did, as, as we talked about earlier, moving the Mavericks' time frame so far up, he struggled in crunch time. But there were so many games where that wasn't... Necessary. It didn't matter that he struggled in those clutch situations because he pushed the Mavericks so far ahead. Um, by by the time we even got to the fourth quarter, he is the impetus behind the most efficient offense in NBA history. He is carrying an immense workload on the offensive end and still managing to show some defensive improvements. He involves all of his teammates. He can score from everywhere. He's very much a candidate for most improved player if you're willing to consider second year contributors. He's, he's been absolutely phenomenal, and he's played a little bit more than Kawhi Leonard, and the minutes that he's played have generally come at full bore, which I'm not sure you can always say about Leonard until later in this season.
0: I thought the minutes, so I had Kawhi and Giannis as my favorite spots. The Giannis one is inarguable. Let's just, let's move on. Run yeah. good, we're great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Luka played enough, minutes like didn't play it like he was at what is he at right now? Donchis is at eighteen seventy nine for the season and Kawhi is at seventeen oh three. so It's not like, a
1: huge difference, but I, I do think that the intensity in all of those minutes was just, a little bit different. I
0: feel like Leonard kind of flipped the defensive switch mid season though. And a yep. half season at yep. Leonard like really getting after it um ends up being a huge deal. For me, And so the, the responsibility that he shouldered on both sides of the ball this year because of how many pick and rolls he was running for Los Angeles, particularly at the beginning of the season, and then of course his defensive bandwidth uh, just ends up mattering more to me. And then Doncic's crunch time struggles really weighted heavily here, and I understand that uh, you can't penalize him for the players he has around him, but also his shot selection in there was just... A tick uncomfortable, if you just look at it. He was getting to the – taking a, fewer of his shots in the restricted area and settling A little for too reliant yeah. on those yeah.
1: step backs, yeah. So,
0: and when you're not hitting that, like hitting that at a 30 to 33% clip is great in general, but that high variance, when it matters most, it's unsettling. I'd say the same thing for James Harden. He's probably hitting them at a higher clip. I've not checked that, though. So that splicing hairs, but that's what you need to do in these debates.
1: Right, and I think Le- Leonard is probably going to be the consensus pick here, and I get it. I, I really strongly considered it. And this wasn't an attempt to be contrarian so much as just to, to recognize the importance that Doncic had on that team, especially because we didn't know what we were going to get out of Kristaps all season. He wasn't there the whole season. He was working his way back into form, and Doncic alone pushed this team into contention.
0: Second team, though, I had Doncic. And, if I, were and, to I, had,
1: and I had Kawhi. And I think we agreed on the other one, which is... Uh, Jimmy Butler, right?
0: Yeah. If you, you know what's funny? When people say, if only he could shoot, think about how good he can be. It's so weird because that's such a fundamental skill that if you don't have it, to just say something like that as if you're going to get it, it's way too dismissive of it. But Jimmy Butler has shown he's a better shooter in seasons past. And yet, he's shooting like sub 0% on threes this year. He's the second worst pull up jump shooter in the league this season. Behind, I think it was it was it Aaron Gordon. That's who he was behind. I mean, he was the second worst um, among people who took at least three pull up jumpers per game and pull up effective field goal percentage. So that's not great for him. But his defense, it was there this year, and he carried some really what could have been stinker lineups before the trade deadline. And then the responsibility he's shouldering on offense: career high in assists per game, putting just basically more pressure on the rim than ever, getting to the line. At a ridiculously high clip, and the Heat are just substantially better when he's on the court, and so it's. I, I, he's. he It's weird to say, but he's had one, arguably one of his worst shooting seasons, and yet he's still probably a fringe top ten player. I felt comfortable putting him here. I didn't think for a minute, really, of putting. Actually, I, I thought for like a half minute about putting one of my third team forwards in front of him, but. Look, he shot 37.8% on two-point jumpers this year. Two-point jumpers. And i he's made second-team All-NBA. That's really—I don't think it's an egregious and he felt pick. like a
1: lock for this spot to me.
0: Right. No one expected the Heat to be this good, and it's very much because of him. I don't want to say we've rushed the coronation of Bam Adebayo, but I still don't completely trust him as a linchpin of your defense, and he can't anchor offensive units on his own. In theory, yes, but he doesn't have the range in the half court, and I also just don't think he's ready to run— half court sets full time and that's not a knock that's something that's like oh he was a backup for most of last year now we're talking about him as a top 25 player so this is more of a compliment to to jimmy butler and and so 43 percent of his attempts are still just coming at the rim that's just absolutely mind melting and because he's putting so much pressure on the rim and half court defenses you can absolutely still rely on him in crunch time
1: i think the best way i can put it is about how good he's been in the non-shooting areas is that if he had if he had knocked down three pointers like he did during his best seasons with the Chicago Bulls, I'm looking at like 2014-15, his his first All-Star appearance when he took three per game and made 37.8 percent of them. If he was able to replicate that without changing any other portions of his game, I think we have an MVP debate.
0: Yeah, I mean you're you're probably like, I think he's been that good. His I think we almost take his defense for granted now just because of how long he's been doing it. And maybe because his personality, someone
1: like Spolstra too.
0: Right. And maybe, maybe his personality is too grading off the courts that creates voter fatigue when there really hasn't been enough votes for him to be fatigued. But because you know that he was the one who called the snitch line on himself in Disney for working out (laughs) too loudly. You just know that Jimmy Butler called and said, I think someone from Jimmy Butler's room is working out way too loudly. I could just, I can picture it now. Yes someone's working out too loudly. And I think I, I even feel like they have just this unparalleled commitment to winning. And it's just, it's, it's too loud. Do you think it's performative? Cause it, it definitely like, it no. rubs
1: me the wrong way. You don't, you don't. I don't, I, no, I, just, okay. so, I hate the, the idea that like you're, you're going to show up to a practice three hours early at 3am and try to inspire your teammates to do the same. Like, Hey, we know how much sleep matters for athletic performance. Like, you are not listening to medical advice here, and I, I wonder if like he's not making himself as good as he could be by trying to make himself like appear to have the greatest work ethic in sports history.
0: I'll frame it this way. It's absolutely performative when he's talking about it, but I truly do believe that he considers anyone who isn't willing to work 75% as hard as him as irrelevant, and that he doesn't want to be teammates with them. So I don't think that part of it is... I do believe he expects his teammates to live up to his standard which maniacal as it may be i don't think that the standard exists as as performative i think it's something real it's just the way he conveys it that's absolutely performative because he wants people to know about it i don't think he's doing it for the recognition but because he's doing it he wants the recognition if that's make it if that makes any sense
1: it does it does and I, I just i i hate those early wake up things it's like if it works for you great but it's not going to work for everyone, and you might be holding back some of your teammates if you try to like force them to follow your ridiculous workout schedule.
0: Yeah, you're 100% right there. Third-team forwards are all you. We were not in lockstep, I don't think, right here. No,
1: we were not. Um, one of them I, I had was Jason Tatum, who you had as a third-team guard. So I, I did have him as a third-teamer as well. For all the reasons you mentioned, the, the post-All-Star break explosion That we saw, it didn't come out of nowhere. It was building towards that all season. He's been so much more than just a a a late season breakout. He was playing at 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 such a high two way level that I I think we're going to hear his name mentioned in the best two way player discussions moving forward. He's he's just that talented on both ends, which is not something that I expected to be saying when he was coming out of Duke with a questionable shot selection, with a questionable work ethic on defense. But kudos to him for for proving any doubts wrong um, on that on that pre-draft scouting report I had him joined by Chris Middleton who is probably moving into that Mike Conley territory where he's been called underrated so many times that it might not be true anymore but he's just he's a damn good basketball player and if you think the Milwaukee Bucks' ceiling is limited by their second fiddle to Giannis you're wrong because Chris Middleton is that good I mean he's unquestionably been a top 20 player this year uh is he, he he is on pace to join the 50 40 90 club i believe i haven't checked since uh he was at 49 9
0: overall field goal percentage when the restart began i don't know if he's clear he's at again. 49
1: 5 41 2 91 2 right now well here's, so
0: he's okay. he's
1: not quite there but for all intents and purposes he's scoring 21.1 per, points per game with a 50 40 90 slash and while playing good defense, while creating his own jumpers from scratch from all over the court and forcing defenses to pay attention to mid range zones because he's effective enough there to, to demand it. Like, he, he is a great basketball player who it's hard to find a flaw with.
0: Yeah, and so he was one of my third team forwards. I don't understand. I actually still think he's underrated because I don't think people recognize that he added top 10 to 15 value this season among players. And his stardom is plug and play uh 93rd percentile on catch and shoot efficiency 87th percentile off the dribble the bucks were a monstrous net plus when he played without Giannis it was basically the same story last year I'm with you on his defense people probably overlook it because Giannis Bledsoe and even Brook Lopez kind of have to do more that's not his fault he's still in if he's going to guard the third best player on the court uh, he still does a heck of a job doing it and then just to reiterate his scoring efficiency as it stands the only other player in NBA history to average more than 20 points while shooting, well, let's say matching Middleton's efficiency on twos, threes, and free throws is Stephen Curry. His scoring is just I've heard he's a good shooter. He's, he's not bad. Stephen Curry's okay. And that's just, he should, I think Middleton, there are probably points to debate, but I think Middleton should be an all-NBA shoe-in this year. Whether you put him second team might be a stretch, but I would say third team for sure.
1: Yeah, I think he should be a third team lock.
0: My third team, other third team forward, was actually Pascal Siakam. And people have pointed to the drop in efficiency. And so here's how I counter to that. He was injured at one point. I think he was dealing with was a groin injury, I believe it was. Yep. The other thing is his role is so much different that skepticism, It's it feels like, and I wrote this, The skepticism feels like pageantry. His usage rate has jumped by 7.7 points compared to his 5.1 spike last year um, from his season before that. And the other thing I'll point out is where last year's change was more about taking on additional responsibility. This year's tr- transition is both a matter of volume and, and transformation because he's taking different shots. They're trying to turn him into, into more of this offensive hub. And so I think you have to expect his efficiency to decline I mean, Listen to this. The frequency with which he's finished possessions as the pick-and-roll ball handler has almost tripled from last year. The time he spends in isolation has almost doubled, and he's gone from attempting fewer than one pull-up jumper per game to five. He's shooting above 34% on pull-up threes, which is an acceptable number by those standards. I would say Toronto's lucky that he's averaging, t- let's say, 24, 24 points, 8 rebounds, Four assists, I'm rounding up here, on average adjacent true shooting, given the context of his role and how different it is from years past, even last season. And to me, I, I don't know if it's because Toronto's defense is so success by committee, and he's maybe been a little bit worse there than last season because of all he's doing on the offensive end. He's still borderline all defense to me, too. And so he... Actually, it was tough for me to, I was trying to figure out a way to finagle Ben Simmons in here, but I couldn't do it at the expense of Pascal Siakam.
1: I'm not really sure what Pascal Siakam's role is because he does everything. It seems like it varies from one game to the next to the betterment of the Raptors. He was the most improved player in the NBA last year. He's still somehow in the discussion this year. He's probably not going to win the award in back-to-back seasons, but the fact that he even deserves mention in those conversations is telling in and of itself. Um, you know, you mentioned the numbers, you mentioned the specific roles, and it, his—it's—it's it's tough to tell whether he or Kyle Lowry is more valuable to the Raptors right now, and that, and that's another huge point in his favor. I had him as a fourth team forward, and it was—it was tough for me to leave him off the third.
0: Would you say is it is this a cop out to say Pascal Siakam is Toronto's best player, but Kyle Lowry is their most important? No, I agree with that. I think it was probably the that. same story last season, even with Kawhi. Maybe I don't. Maybe you can't say that because of what he did in the finals. But whereas beforehand it was Kyle Lowry was better than DeMar DeRozan and more important than DeMar DeRozan, it feels like this season it's a Pascal Siakam's better in a vacuum, but Kyle Lowry's still more important to this team's immediacy.
1: I think part of the reason that they're so successful is that they don't get caught up in those designations either. There's, there, there's never any hint of selfishness with this team. Fred Van Vliet is going to take a lot of shots. Siakam's going to take almost 19 per game. Lowry's going to take almost 15 per game. But it never feels like any of those key scorers—maybe Norman Powell occasionally— is going to take shots that they shouldn't be that aren't coming within the flow of the offense and the ability to play off one another, uh, the ability to complement one another, no matter what role you're filling is is so vital.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you right there on that one. Who was your other quote unquote fourth team forward? Yeah. My other fourth team forward was Russell Westbrook. (laughs) Were you just assigning him the forward minutes when he played with Gordon and Harden at the same time? Yeah, Sure.
1: You know, (laughs) The Rockets very clearly don't subscribe to positional definitions with their microball lineups after they traded Clint Capella and and even before that to some extent. So why not? Let's, let's go ahead and throw him in there as a forward because he does deserve recognition for deferring to Harden earlier in the season and then just absolutely exploding in these microball lineups. If that's not allowed, if you want to reject that, I'm more than willing to put Brandon Ingram in that spot for how well he did carrying the Pelicans before Zion was healthy and then... His ability to adapt once Zion was back and demanding touches, Uh, but but I'm going to stick with Westbrook.
0: I'll allow it. I don't know if anyone else will. Uh, Fromel zero nine on Twitter. F R O. All I need is your approval, Dan. I had Brandon Ingram as one. I also people are like. Let's not overthink Brandon Ingram averaging like 25 points and five assists on really right. good true shooting. Like, let's not. That's good. I don't care what the on-off splits say right now. He's obviously going to struggle a little bit to operate with Zion. Once they put a floor spacing five around them, which I think they absolutely need to do, that's partnership I think will end up being fine. But he was really good. I had him, and then I shoehorned Ben Simmons into a forward role. I actually don't know if he was eligible for that, so I might be doing the same. He
1: definitely should be.
0: I, uh, I might be doing the same shenanigans that you are, though, but I'm not sorry. Do you want it to, I'm not either. Speaking of shenanigans, first-team center is kind of a, a... It's tough. Because, well, it's tough, but it's also like, well, do you want to say it? Because we have the same guy. Yeah, I mean, we have Anthony Davis. But he played more than half of his minutes at power forward before the restart. And I understand that they've closed games with him at the five, but it's like... And it makes sense under the current context because, oh, if, you know you're going to have jokic be a forward when he was never really a forward then yes anthony davis should be eligible at a position he technically did play for a good amount of time but it's just another instance where like the delineation is just a little bit blurry it is i'm happy I mean, to have it though because it made the rest of this exercise a lot more flexible
1: right right it, it was it was tough to decide between anthony davis and Nikolai jokic for that first team spot but one davis. of them showed up
0: in shape and the other didn't and i think that's the difference
1: <laughs> it is it is jokic was not good at the start of the season and very quickly became good but but davis was phenomenal and didn't skip a beat joining up with lebron james which is an entirely different situation than anything that he had done to that to that stage of his career the the ability to to fit in seamlessly alongside a player who, as good as he is and as well as he understands the game, isn't always the easiest to play alongside. He he did it so well on both ends of the floor. We're, we're talking about him as a primary threat to win Defensive Player of the Year and deservedly so, even if he's neither of our picks, while also dominating on the offensive end as a three-point shooter, as a, as a creator, as a cutter, as a pick-and-roll threat, you name it, and he's able to, to thrive in that role. Yeah, he can't he can't carry units without LeBron. That's been a struggle for him throughout his career to to really float a lineup without another star next to him.
0: But that's okay. Yeah, it's tough for him to have that type of influence over the offense, but I'm with you. It's okay. And also, while we didn't pick him for defensive player of the year, I think people have used his on off splits to kind of discredit That case because the lakers are allowing fewer points per 100 possessions without him there's a lot of noise there and he had to try and carry a lot of lineups that included regular season uh rondo in there without lebron which makes it tough and then also i there might be something too he's not able to impact the defense at the same level as an Embiid or gobert because he's guarding at every level and they're not if that makes any sense he He guards isolations more frequently this season than Ben Simmons. He's 15th in total spot-ups defended and 4th in three-pointers contested per game. His 2.9 deflections per 36 minutes ranks 7th among all players 6'10 or taller to clear 1,000 minutes. And he's defended more than twice as many pick-and-roll ball handlers as post-ups. Some of that's positional because he has spent a lot of time at the 4, but he's all over the place defensively. And that sort of ubiquity actually kind of takes away from... I would argue, what some of the numbers actually paint him as. So I think he's clearly there. And it, it was actually an easy choice for me to put him at, in first team if he was eligible at the five. Yeah,
1: it, it was one of those that I debated for a second. And then I was like, yeah, it, it's Davis. But that's not to discredit Jokic, who I believe was your second, second team. team center as well. But well, not yeah. forward?
0: You didn't put him in forward?
1: <laughs> Even though he's eligible, I, I refused to do that. Um, had he come out of the gates hot, I think the first team would have been his for the taking because he he reached that level that we expected to following his masterpiece of a playoff performance last season. Now he's still averaging 20.2 points, 10.2 rebounds, 6.8 assists per game, shooting 52.7% from the field. He generates free throws. He doesn't necessarily hit his threes at a high clip, but high enough and frequently enough that Defenses are forced to cover him out there. He is and he'll the unquestioned...
0: where he shoots like 45% from three too.
1: Yep. He is the unquestioned linchpin of the Denver offense. Everyone cuts around him. Everyone takes handoffs from him. He makes full court passes. Look easy. He's the best quarterback in Denver. Um, all of these things are are undeniable. He remains an underrated defender. He has been arguably the best crunch time player in the NBA um, Chris Paul is probably the only player who's capable of taking that crown for him and it goes beyond that. No player has had more success taking shots within the final four seconds of the shot clock this season. He is a bailout option who somehow manages to get off shots from everywhere and they are Kai and they go through the net. What he's done for Denver is everything.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't I don't know what I could actually add to that, but from the moment he turned the corner since December sixth, he has been averaging 22.4 points, 7.1 assists, 10 rebounds, slashing 55.6, 35.7, 82.2, 635 true shooting during this stretch. That's 46 games and like you said, it's a matter of like, you know, those first like between 15 and 20 appearances if you if he was better during those the first team probably would have been his spot to lose were we i don't know that we talked about before we did we put third team center i don't know that we listed it to each other but i think probably i don't remember team. who you picked i have rudy gobert as my third. i team. do
1: too okay who so. i think is like underrated now
0: yeah it's it's tough because he kind of has the same limitations as davis where what are you he can't influence the offense the same way and so he's always going to be inherently less valuable than certain players but He's still a generational defender. And look, the Jazz have been terrible. They're better with him playing without Donovan Mitchell than Donovan Mitchell playing without him. And so you can read from that uh, what you want. And he's... Look, on offense, he's a devastating, dedicated rim-runner. So he is relying on others to create his own looks, but like he can really... Uh, he's going to finish well at the rim when given the, the opportunity out of the pick and roll. And just what he does defensively too, There's he's defended well outside the paint. It was Zach Lowe had this stat. Uh, opponents averaged an embarrassing .688 points on 117 isolations against Gobert, the lowest figure in the league among all defenders who faced at least 100 isos. So like, if you pull him out of the paint, you have one because it is going to open up lanes, but if your first instinct is, well, I'm going to cook him off the dribble now, instead of exploiting the mismatch elsewhere, he's not going to go down without a fight there. And so his defense is actually more valuable, and I think it gets credit for now. The final thing I'll say is, it's not on him, really. There was some just... I, I feel like there was a, st- a stretch of, like, people in Utah pointed out, or Utah, like, Jazz writers, for, like, a month where he just wasn't engaged on defense, wasn't getting back in transition with the same, uh, you know, vim, but... It's not on him that Utah is 10th in defensive efficiency. They still take a nosedive without him. They're in the 77th percentile of defensive efficiency when he's jumping center. And the other thing I'll say that people haven't talked about enough, and this will be the final thing I'll say, they veered away from defense heavily over the offseason by letting Ricky Rubio walk. Even if you thought Mike Conley was going to be healthy, that was a downgrade right there. And the fact that Mike Conley wasn't healthy hurt you even more. Trading Jay Crowder, who worked as a small ball four for them, and... Bringing in Boyan Baidanovich, who was fine in Indy because it's Indy, but also just wasn't adding like a huge value as a defender. So if you're going from him to Jay Crowder, in essence, like that's a drop off as well. I'm
1: definitely not surprised by that Zach Low stat because anecdotally, I, I I feel like Gobert is maybe the best I've ever seen at baiting dribblers into blowing by him, knowing that he can recover to block the shot. He he seems to do it on purpose. There's just like, to like let guys get a step on him, knowing that he's quick enough to recover. I, I I don't know who else I would even put in that category.
0: And there's like there are some players that you could see he's like more hesitant with. Like when it happens with Chris Paul, that's one where it seems like he's really indecisive. But otherwise, I'm just in total agreement with you. And the other thing. They trust him as a rim protector so much that their defensive game plan, and I think it was one or, I think it was just one Houston game, but it was two. We're gonna put him at the rim and let Westbrook just challenge him right there because that's how confident we are. I, it doesn't matter whether it was super effective or not. The fact that they felt they could do it, like, is a testament to his rim protection, and that gives them ways to kind of fight, sort of heavily switching like if, if he wants to drop all the way back and let the ball handlers come at them they funnel enough ball handlers his way anyway you could watch many of them will dribble inside just to come back out because they see him there
1: and then the final point on Gobert is, is screen assists so uh, so who is your fourth team center <laughs>
0: <laughs> Triple-double <laughs> have a Rudy Gobert with his screen assist. I, so, the fourth team... I also don't know if we went over this with each other either. It's weird that we went over every... Apparently, three. we just got bored. Yeah. Uh, this was a little bit tougher for me. I considered Brook Lopez here. I even looked at Carl anthony Towns a little bit, but he just didn't play enough. I ended up with Joel Embiid, and he probably would have beaten out Gobert for me had he just played more. I know there was, like, his defensive consistency was maddening, but he still if you just look at the thing that still just blows my mind is when you look at the rim frequency differential of opponents with him on the floor versus off it drops by 8.2 percent that's the largest drop off among every single player in the league uh minimum 350 minutes which is nothing i filtered out i think it was someone i can't remember who it was it was like james johnson or somebody had logged like no time at all and was number one i'll look up who that one person was but that is absurd 8.2 percent that's wild um Zach Lowe says this all the time, so I don't want to. I know people think everyone just repurposes his takes as their own, and maybe that's there's a level it's, of truth for that. Good it's, for him. It's, it's valid. I, but he might be the most impactful defender in the league when he's healthy and available. The fact is, his availability is never going to uh, supersede an Anthony Davis or a, or a Rudy Gobert.
1: So my pick, I have it written in my notes, is sorry, Joel Embiid, but availability matters. Bam Adebayo.
0: I'm. I'm. Oh, by the way, I was right about it being James Johnson. I just want to throw it out there that I was I'm I'm glad I remembered that name. Uh, I feel like I've become lower on Bam than everybody else, which probably means that I'm wrong. I'll just flat out say I that.
1: Mean, yeah, it's it's probably
0: true. But yeah, Bam was seventh
1: in minutes played in the entire NBA this season. Embiid was scrolling, 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 scrolling. 160th, 1,363 minutes played to Bam's 2,263, which is a huge difference. Embiid was better in the minutes that he did play, but Bam's growth as a do-everything center was huge for Miami. He, he's probably not going to anchor a defense by himself. He's probably not going to anchor an offense by himself. But his, his ability so to, to fill every... Exactly. His, his ability to fill every functional element in the offense and in the defense is huge. He, he grew as a ball handler and distributor. He grew as a shooter. He grew as a perimeter defender who has incredible lateral quickness for someone his size. And it, it really not quite as much as Butler, but it, it did key their expedited rise up the Eastern standings. The only other player I really consider for this spot was DeMontis Sabonis, who, while he had a fantastic season, did not belong in this conversation.
0: No, and that's why I'm making a face at you right now. But And just so people don't think I'm a BAM hater, the point you made about him really just filling a box score from every angle, only six other players... Have averaged at least 15 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, one steal, and one block, as Bam is doing now. Kareem, Giannis, Charles Barkley, Larry Bird, Kevin Garnett, and Chris Webber. I mean, I'm holy hell! Are you
1: surprised that there are no Hakeem or David Robinson seasons?
0: Uh, the assists. I'm not. Maybe with Hakeem, yeah, not so much Robinson. Uh, yeah. But the assists seem a little bit high of a benchmark for for them. Uh, the but so to your point about Embiid, which I think is fair. I try in in all NBA. I don't really wait playing time as heavily which is why I almost put Carl anthony Towns in this. I did not, just to be clear. But it, it, it absolutely does matter. It's just not as much of a focus for me. I've always kind of viewed it. I can't remember who said this. I think it was like Kevin Arnovitz once a couple years ago and it stuck with me is that I'm more concerned about getting the 15 best players in under the criteria that I have to fit them into than I am as, about sample size. Obviously, it needs to matter, which is why I didn't pick Carl anthony Towns, but that's the way I approach this. And I've, look, Bam bio. is ridiculously good.
1: I, I do approach it from the perspective of who added the most value during the season in question, and, and because of that, volume does matter pretty significantly for me.
0: I have no qualms about that. Do you have anything else to offer on this discussion?
1: Other than that, it was it was fun to do. Not really.
0: If you, let's recap them quick. So my first team was LeBron, Harden, Giannis, Kawhi, Anthony Davis. Mine was
1: LeBron, Harden, Giannis,
0: Doncic, Anthony Davis. My second team was Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, Jimmy Butler, and Nikola Jokic. Mine was Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, and Nikola Jokic. My third team was Kyle Lowry, Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton, Pascal Siakam, Rudy Gobert.
1: Mine was Kyle Lowry, Ben Simmons, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, and Rudy Gobert.
0: The fourth team that does not exist, I had Russell Westbrook, Devin Booker, Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid.
1: I had Bradley Beal, Trey Young with an apology to Devin Booker, Pascal Siakam, Russell Westbrook with an apology to Brandon Ingram, and Bam Adebayo with an apology to Joel Embiid.
0: With also an apology on the Russell Westbrook it's also an apology to people who care about positional designation. <laughs> no,
1: there is no apology to them. Uh well,
0: that's Don't you gr- put those words in my mouth. Hopefully you all enjoyed this podcast. This was fun to do. We will be getting back to our uh, decade player ranking series we'll probably only have like an episode a week on that though since there's actually current events to um to be moving forward with we've already recorded the knicks um disregard when adam does the intro there and says it's his first intro ever back because clearly it's not anymore please 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 pretty please with sugar on top rate review and subscribe to us on itunes if you haven't already if you're using a different podcast player, make sure that you're subscribed and downloading us. Those are the best ways to help us out. Also, we appreciate any shout-outs on Twitter, retweeting our promos. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. Follow us on Twitter at HardwoodKnox. Follow Adam at Frommel09. I'm at Dan Valley F-A-V-A-L-E. Until next time, though, we leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, one of the most underrated small forwards of the season, Russell Westbrook.